Well, you know what? Every now and again, not very often, not very often, but every now and again, I'll be stuck for something to do, be a little bit bored, and sometimes when this happens, I'll, I'll play what I call the Google game. Do you know what the Google game is? The Google game is when you type in the first couple of words of a search into Google just to see what the auto-response answers are going to be. Yes, you have to be pretty bored to play that game, but, but I'll show you. It is interesting. It is interesting. It can be funny. I'll show you. I did this just the other day, and I took some screenshots, okay? So, for instance, when we type in the words, how does, let's see what happens. There it is. How does, so how does zip pay work? That's what other people are searching for at the moment. How does after pay work? How does Love Island work? That's probably a good question. I don't know how that works. Anyway, what about this one? How about the next one? What, if, what happens when we type in the words, what happens if? What happens if you eat mold? What happens if you stop eating? What happens if you swallow gum? What happens if you eat raw chicken? I, I suppose it's a good question they're asking that before they're doing it. Hopefully, hopefully it's not in response to what they've just done. All right, what about this one? How to make, how to make pancakes, how to make slime, how to make a paper airplane, how to make scrunchy. I'm picking up on a theme here. I think this one's probably a whole lot of parents during school holidays <laughs> trying to find things to do for their kids. What about this one? How much do Uber drivers earn? How much do YouTubers get paid? How much do braces cost? How much do I need to retire? How much do teachers get paid? Again, maybe I wonder if that's parents in school holidays. <laughs> maybe a little jealous of the holidays and the situation, maybe looking at a career change, perhaps. By the way, if you're a teacher in the room, you earn every minute of holiday you get. I'm not, not kidding on that. All right, next one. This is the last one. When can I? When can I access my super? When can I retire? When can I get a pension? When can I get my super? I think there's another theme here. I reckon these are the teachers <laughs> in the school holidays who probably enjoy their holidays a bit too much <laughs> and are maybe wondering when it is they might be able to go on permanent holidays, I, I suppose. But we all have questions, don't we? We all have questions. Some are small, some are trivial, some are just out of interest, and some are really big. Some are really big and important. And, uh, but no matter the size, we all have a whole lot of questions. And that's what this series is about that we're in. It's called That's a Great Question. And what we did was earlier in the year, we um, asked you to choose. We gave you 10 big questions of life and faith and the Bible. And, and we asked you to vote on, on your number one question that you would want us to speak about. And over 100 people voted. And we got those responses back. And we, we got the top four and we put together this series. Now, I don't know how it happened. And I don't know whether it's because Pastor Steve is on leave or Sandy has gone to Turkey for a trip. But I got given not the fourth top answer, not the third top answer, not the second top answer, but the number one question, the biggest question that you guys chose, which probably suggests it might be the hardest one to answer, so lucky me, lucky me. Do you want to know what the question was? It's this one. Can a Christian lose their salvation? Ooh, that's a big question, isn't it? That's a big question. 
And believe me, I've been thinking about this. I got given this question about three or four months ago, and I've been thinking a lot about this question. I've been doing a lot of reading and listening to what other people have to say about this question on all sorts of, in all sorts of formats. And can I tell you, this question is such a big one that there are lots of very smart, highly educated, very experienced, very well-meaning, very godly people who have a variety of opinions and answers to this question. So it's a very difficult question to answer. So with that said, I'm going to say, I'm going to give it my best shot. Is that all right? On my best understanding of my readings of the scriptures of God's word and my best understanding from my listening and researching and my study and everything else, I'm going to give you my best answer to this question. Is that all right? It does mean that it's my opinion. It's my take on it. And so there is probably a possibility that there'll be people in this room who have an alternate opinion. And you know what? That's okay. I believe that if that's you this morning, that if you and I both believe that Jesus died for us, that we believe that he rose again and that we've accepted him into our lives, I reckon you and I will both be in heaven and we can find out the answer to this question then. <laughs> Is that cool? Yeah. All right. Can a Christian lose their salvation? I think there are two reasons, mainly, why we would ask this question. There are two reasons. The first reason is relational. first reason we ask this question is relational, because maybe if you've been a Christian for any kind of amount of time, maybe you know somebody who was once a Christian, who once talked and behaved and looked like a Christian, just like anyone, but over time, that changed. And maybe you look at their lives now, and maybe you can't see any significant signs that they are walking with Jesus anymore. That's one reason why we would ask this question. Second reason we would ask this question is a personal reason. We maybe have this little voice in the back of our minds that questions, are you really saved? Is your eternity really safe? Let me explain. Maybe, maybe you come to church and maybe you ask Jesus for forgiveness and you ask Jesus into your life and everything's really great. But then on Tuesday, you go into town and it's just a really quick errand, but there's just there's one free spot right out the front, but it's a parking meter one and you don't have any money and you're just going to be really quick. So you just park there anyway, you pop in, pop out, but you get home and you feel terrible. You've done the wrong thing. You feel really guilty, oh, ashamed. So on Sunday, you come to church and you ask God for forgiveness and you accept Jesus into your life again and you recommit your life to him and everything's good again. But then on Wednesday, you tell a little fib to your neighbor to get out of a conversation because they're a bit annoying. And so... But then, then a couple of days later on Saturday, you're playing golf and you, you're in the bunker and you, you decide not to rake the sand after you've been in there. And, and so on Sunday, you come to church and you feel really rotten. Oh, I'm a terrible human being. So you ask Jesus for forgiveness and you ask him into your life and you dedicate and you commit your life to him all over again. And it's this cycle every week, this cycle, as if for some reason, we are wondering if 
our eternity is at risk. If for some reason, if we tragically and suddenly our life ended all of a sudden, we have to have all our ducks in the row, we have to have everything sorted out and every little minor indiscretion confessed and forgiven and recommitted and our slate completely clear and pure in order for our eternity to be safe. And so we, we live a life that is almost paranoid about what we're doing. So two reasons why we would ask this question, can a Christian lose their salvation? Relational, personal. All right, here's my answer. You ready? I believe that the New Testament is actually really clear. I believe that when the New Testament says somebody accepts Jesus into their lives and believes that he died for them and rose again and they commit their lives to him, that they are saved from an eternity without God. They are saved from a godless eternity. And that can never be taken away from them. Let me explain. Can we be this confident? Can we be this confident in our salvation? Well, the Apostle John, he writes a letter, actually he wrote a few letters to Christians that we find in the New Testament. And in this first letter, called 1 John, how original, um, he writes to Christians and he says this. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So he's writing these things to Christians, to people who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that, what, we can hope to have eternal life? So that we can guess that we might or aim to have eternal life? No, he's saying, so that you can know for sure that you have eternal life. So how can we know? How can we know? How can we be so sure? How can we be so confident that we are saved in our salvation? Well, if we keep reading through the New Testament and through some of the letters, especially Paul's letters, he talks about this. And he says, there are three reasons. There are three reasons to be so confident in our eternities, in our salvation. The first reason is that we are sealed and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Sealed and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Have a listen to what Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians. He says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You were marked in him. So, in other words, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we commit our lives to him, God gives us his Holy Spirit, and that is like a seal on our lives. A seal, a signature, a mark, a stamp, a branding with God's name on our lives. Okay? But Paul doesn't stop there. He actually keeps going. He says, and this Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is a seal and a mark on our lives, but it's also, Paul says, a deposit that guarantees our inheritance. We all know how a deposit works. A deposit is, is when you are wanting to purchase something, 
but you can't quite complete the transaction yet for whatever reason. So, so you put a deposit on it. And usually that is something that's valuable to you or something that's worth a fair bit. And what that does is it shows the person who owns that thing that you are serious about coming back. As soon as you can complete that transaction, you are serious about coming back and, and getting that. It's reserved just for you and nobody else can then take it. So Paul is saying that when we accept Jesus into our lives, God gives us the Holy Spirit, that is a stamp and a mark with his name on it, on our lives, and it's a deposit. God is putting a deposit on our lives, reserving us for him, so that when it comes time to complete the transaction, he can't quite complete it yet, because otherwise we'd be dead, um, but as soon as it's time, in his timing, to complete this transaction, then he will return, and he will pay it out, and the transaction will be complete. And that we are reserved for him. So, we are marked and we are guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, though, we are held and we are secured by the Son and the Father. Have a listen to what Jesus told his followers. He said this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish no one will snatch them out of my hand. And he says this, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jesus himself is talk, he's talking about himself here. And he says, When someone becomes one of my sheep, they are held in my hand, and they are held so tightly that nobody, but nobody, can take them out. And not only that, but my Father in heaven holds them in his hand as well, and he's holding on so tight that no one can snatch them out of his hand. We are marked, sealed, guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. We are held in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus, and so tightly that he cannot let go, and we are held in the same hands that shaped and crafted the universe. That's pretty convincing. And no one, he says, will snatch them out of those hands. Wow. That's pretty strong. But if those two reasons weren't reason enough to be confident in our own salvation... There is a third reason I believe we can be confident too, and that is simply that we are saved by grace and not by works. Saved by grace and not by works. Paul, writing to the same church as he was before, he, he writes this, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I am so grateful so grateful that my salvation, my eternity is not reliant on what I do. It's not reliant on what I am going to do or I'm not going to do. It's not reliant on what I have done or ever have done. It's reliant only on what Jesus did. It's only by grace, not by works. So if there's nothing I can do to save me any more than I am already saved, then there's nothing I can do to unsave me. (laughs) 
Jesus did it once and for all. And in fact, he said on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. It is done. There is no more to be done. This is it. We're finished. It is finished. No more. End of story. Full stop. There's nothing we can do to add or subtract from what Jesus did because it is finished. We are sealed by the Spirit. We are secured by the Son and the Father. The whole trinity of God is holding us tightly and our salvation in His hands. And there's nothing we can do or not do to change that because it's what Jesus did for us that matters. The tricky bit with this question is not that. (laughs) The tricky bit with this question comes when in the reason that we ask this question. That is when it throws a spanner in the works. That is when it throws a spanner in the works. Because we ask for personal reasons, but we also ask for relational reasons. We ask because there are people in our lives who perhaps once were a Christian, called themselves a Christian, and yet we look at their lives now, perhaps, and we can't see any evidence in their lives, of a life that follows Jesus. So what do we do about that? What do we do about that? Well, my best understanding is, I'll put it this way, I think there are two categories of these kinds of people. Two categories. The first category is the person that genuinely, genuinely gave their life to Jesus, believes believed that he died for them, rose again, they accepted him into their lives, committed their lives to him, and gradually over time, for whatever reason, any multitude of reasons, have drifted away, maybe been distracted by the things of life, maybe things in life have gotten in the way and, and have taken them out of a great Christian community who can keep them accountable and keep them on the right path. But perhaps this person or these people no longer live a lifestyle that looks like that of a Christian. You know what? I believe as long as their decision was genuine, that their decision was to give their lives to Jesus, that they still have that stamp on their lives. They still have a mark. They still have a signature. It might be faded. And maybe you and I struggle to read the name on that seal. But can I tell you, God knows his own seal. He knows what his signature looks like, no matter how faded it might be. But there's a second category of these people as well. Second category being, perhaps a person talked like a Christian, acted, behaved like a Christian, maybe sang like a Christian, maybe even prayed like a Christian, but on the inside... They never really accepted Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. Maybe they did everything on the outside to look like a Christian, but maybe on the inside they'd never really committed their lives to him. These kinds of people are what the Apostle John, who wrote that letter that we talked about earlier, he said, he was talking about when he wrote this, he said, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. 
For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Maybe there are people in our lives that you and I know who at one point looked like a Christian, behaved like a Christian, did everything that we would expect a Christian to do, who no longer look like that, but maybe, maybe at the time, it was all on the outside and not truly on the inside. Maybe they were never really a Christian in the first place. So, what to do? What to do? You know, I think the main point that I want you to remember is this. There are only two people that can know somebody's heart. Only two people. That is the person themselves and God. There are only two people in the world or in existence that can know somebody's heart. So therefore, it is not our place or our right to judge or even to speculate, really. It's not our place to judge who's in and who's out, who's a true Christian and who's not a true Christian, because the Bible says that man only looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. Only the man with nail scars in his hands, because of our sins, who did that to forgive us, only he has the right to judge. You know what? I reckon I will be surprised when I get to heaven. I reckon there'll be people in heaven who I never thought would be, and there'll probably be people missing from heaven who I always thought would be, because I can't see what is in people's hearts. Only God can. So what can we do then? What can we do then? If we can't judge, we don't want to do that, what can we do? As the band comes up, we're going to move into a time of communion, but what can we do? We can do three things. If you, and I think most people in this room would know somebody in this situation where they were once Christian and no longer look like or behave like a Christian, if you have somebody, there are things that you can do. Firstly, don't stop loving. Don't stop loving. Jesus has never stopped loving. Never stopped loving. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter what they ever believed or ever decided to do or didn't decide to do. Jesus has never stopped loving them, and neither should we. First thing. Second thing, don't stop inviting. Don't stop inviting. We never know whether it's the next invitation that will be accepted and will be life-changing for our friends. We never know if the next one is the one. So don't stop. Don't stop inviting. And thirdly, whatever we do, we can't stop praying. Don't stop praying. We believe in a God of miracles, don't we? And no matter how impossible it might seem that we feel <clears throat> for these people perhaps to return to God or return to Jesus, we, we believe in a God of miracles. So do not stop praying, whatever you do. 
Don't stop loving. Don't stop inviting. Don't stop praying. We're going to move into a time of communion, but before we do that, I wanted to give um, you a chance to pray with me. And uh, I'm going to pray for two groups of people. I'm going to pray for you if, if you feel like you're a bit uncertain about your own eternity. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus truly in your heart. Maybe you're one of those people, maybe who, who does all the right things, who says all the right things, but maybe in your heart of hearts, you haven't actually accepted Jesus and have given your life to him yet. If you're in that boat, I want to pray for you. And I'd love to journey with you and provide you with some really practical next steps to help you in that journey. So I'm going to pray for you. The second people I want to pray for Maybe you're feeling this morning like you have made that decision, but maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe there's been so much happened in life since then. Maybe you feel far from God. Maybe he's still there for you, but maybe you feel like you need to rededicate your life to him. It's kind of like renewing our wedding vows. Yeah, it's probably a good thing to do every now and again, but it's more for our sake than to actually renew out. We're still married, but maybe you feel like you need to renew your vows to Jesus this morning. Well, I'm going to pray for you. Is that all right? So why don't we bow our heads, close our eyes. And I'm just going to say a really simple prayer. But maybe this morning you want to be included in my prayer. Maybe you want me, maybe you want me to include you in this prayer. And if, if that's you, why don't you, why don't you just raise your hand? Maybe you say, you know what, Ben? I want you to include me in this prayer. Maybe you've never really committed your life to Jesus before and you want to do that this morning. We would love to help you do that. It's really simple. Well, maybe for you it's, it's a rededication. It's like, I've gotten a bit dusty, gotten a bit cold. I think I need to remind myself of my commitment, recommit my life to Jesus this morning. Well, I want to pray for you. If you, if you want me to include you in this prayer, why don't you just pop up your hand really quickly. No one else can see, just me. So I know that you're there to pray for. Thanks. Well done. Well done. Great. Well done. Well, why don't you pray with me? Jesus, we are just so thankful. We are so thankful what, for what you have done for us, for what you did for us on the cross. That spectacular grace and mercy and love that you showed us by dying for us. Taking the punishment that we would deserve onto yourself and forgiving us. Lord, we just come to you. We ask for your forgiveness. Lord, forgive us for the times that we have turned our back on you. Forgive us for the times that perhaps we've ignored you. And Lord, we just ask that you would come into our lives. Lord, we commit our lives to you. 
Lord, help us to live a life that honours you and live a life that shares this love, this grace, this mercy with those around us. In Jesus, amen. If you are one of those people that prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time, or maybe you want someone to talk about it with you, really encourage you, come and see one of the people down the front. We're going to be here after the service. He can pray for you or just have a chat. We've got a Bible to give you. If, it's, if you don't already have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. We'd love to invite you to a great course that we do called Alpha, which explores a lot of these big questions in a bit more detail and with a great community. It's a great chance to connect as well with other people. And we'd just love to journey with you. But just before we do, there's one more group of people that I think we should pray for. And um, I think this is probably almost a prayer for all of us. And um, I think... As I said earlier, there's probably people in our lives who we know that are in a situation where they were once a Christian and now they don't really look like a Christian anymore. And I just have a sense, maybe we could pray for each other and each other's friends and family. So if that's you, why don't you stand right now? And what we're going to do just going to spend the next 60 seconds with people around us, if, the, if you feel comfortable, of course. Maybe lay a hand on or pray alongside, put an, an arm around a shoulder. And let's pray for each other's friends. Let's pray for each other's family members. Okay? And let's do this as a community. This is, we're here in, at Dorophobe together in community through all the hard things, through all the easy things, through all the great things. And we can do this together. So I'm going to give us 60 seconds just to pray for those around us when it comes to our friends and our family. Lord, we give these people to you. We know that you know their hearts. Lord, we trust you with them. Lord, help us never to give up loving them. Help us to never give up inviting them. Help us to never give up praying for them. Lord, we know you love them unconditionally. We know that you chase after them with a reckless love, a love that risks everything. Lord, we know you love them and Lord, we thank you. Lord, we ask that you open up opportunities for us. Lord, you'd reveal opportunities to us to speak into their lives. Maybe to extend an invite. Lord, would you give us courage when we're needed to extend an invite or to have a conversation? But Lord, we just... Um, entrust these people into your hands and Lord we ask that you would use us 
in bringing them home to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, we're moving into a time of communion. Thanks, you can be seated. Moving to a time of communion, and this is something that we do each and every week here at Door of Hope. And I'm not going to talk too much about the reasons why, because we've actually just had half an hour on it, <clears throat> and I'm running out of voice. But we take a little cup of juice that reminds us of Jesus' blood that was shed for us on the cross. We take a little piece of biscuit that reminds us of his body that was broken for us on our behalf. And we take the opportunity to thank him for what he did for us. We take the opportunity maybe to to seek forgiveness or to reconnect with him once again. And we take the opportunity just to be grateful for how much he has done in our lives. So the team is going to come right now and, and serve If this is something that you're not quite ready to do yet, that's totally okay. We love that you're here. We don't want to make you feel any uncomfortable at all, so just pass the tray along. That's fine. If you're not quite ready to do this, if you haven't really given your life to Jesus yet, and this is not something that you're comfortable doing, that's that's fine. Just pass the trays along. We're going to spend the next couple of moments reflecting, and then we're going to sing one more song.